Well, good evening. This is the first part of our study over the next nine weeks or so on the attributes or the character of God. So rather than focusing on a particular passage as we did this morning, each week we are going to look at what the whole of the Bible says about a particular attribute of our God. Now there are maybe three reasons why I believe this will be a helpful study for us. This study will help us in our worship because worship is recognizing the worth of God. It's our response to his greatness. And the more we understand his excellence, his perfection, the more our hearts will be moved to praise him. God is not like us, but better. If you think of the vision that Isaiah had in the temple of, of the Lord high and exalted and the seraphim uh, calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. That's superlative, uh, well, in, in, um, in a Hebrew e- uh, idiom, when they wanted to uh, describe a superlative, something as best, they would put two words together so that gold, gold would be pure gold. So when uh, the seraphim call out, holy, 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 it's almost like a super superlative, this idea of God's transcendence, God's separation, God being different from us, God's, God's perfection. And the more we understand God, the more we become convinced that he deserves our worship and that it is only right and proper and fitting that God receives the worship, not just of his people, but of all mankind. And therefore, we pray that as we go through this study together on the character of God, our hearts might be moved and that our desire might be that to make his name known and to encourage us to share the gospel whenever the Lord is pleased to give us the opportunity to do so. So this study will help us with our worship It will also help us understand ourselves better. We often compare ourselves to to other people. But we get a more accurate assessment of our own hearts when we compare ourselves with the character of our God. And this study, I believe, will help us seek the Lord's work in our hearts that he might develop in us his likeness in increasing measure. Because out of the overflow of our hearts, the mouth speaks. And I believe this study will also help us to resist sin. It's true to say that when we do something, it's because that is what we wanted to do in in that moment. Later we may regret the choice, but in the moment that is what we most wanted. And so when we sin... It's because at that moment, the attractiveness of sin to us is greater than our desire to honor God. So as we come together on Sunday evenings and we study who God is, our desire to honor God will be increased and it will help us to resist temptation in in that moment. Well, as Alex was saying this evening, we're going to, to speak about or study together the immutability of God. The truth that God is eternal and that God 
does not change. Well, in what way does God not change? Well, God's character doesn't change. There's a helpful verse in 1 John chapter 1, which said, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. So looking positively, first of all, God is, is light. And then at the absence of anything negative, in him, there is no darkness at all. So from, as it were, from an ethical perspective, from a moral perspective, God is and always has been perfect and there is no imperfection in God. There is nothing to improve. God is entirely consistent. There's a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 32 that talks about that consistency. It says, He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. And God is um, God does not change in terms of his character, nor does God change in terms of his will and his purposes. Numbers 23 says this, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God is eternal. Nothing came before God because in the beginning God already was. God created all things by speaking them into existence out of nothing. He sustains all things by his word which means that he is unlimited in power. He is everywhere at once. He knows all things. He is not subject to the limitations to which we are subject Limitations that cause us to change our minds or to be unable to do the things that we, that we promised. Now, in many ways, these things are familiar to us. And so the challenge is not so much to understand what is, in many ways, a very straightforward matter, but to ask ourselves, what difference does that truth make in our lives what are the implications of that? So let's start with the certainty of God's love for us. The familiar verse in Romans chapter 8 that says this, Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God's love for us cannot increase, nor can it decrease, because it is dependent, it is not dependent, either for its existence or for its extent, on circumstances, or even on you being worthy of being the object of that love. Rather, that love is dependent both for its existence and its, and 
its extent on God himself, on his character. Human love increases and decreases. The love shown by a person may vary for many reasons, be affected by many things. That person's selfishness, you think about your own love and how it can be affected by uh, your own inclination to sin, by your own sinful nature. You can think of times when you might be feeling stressed or tired or worried and the way in which that can impact on how you treat other people and the love that you show to them. Our love can be affected by misunderstandings, of fully appreciating what was being said, taking things the wrong way, taking offence where none was intended. But perhaps most of all, the love that we have for other people can be affected by the love that they themselves show to us in return. For our love is often conditional, conditional on the actions of others, or at least the extent to which we love others is affected by how they act towards us. And therefore, because that is our experience of the love with which we love other people, and our experience of the love that they show to us. Sometimes, whether consciously or unconsciously, we can think that God's love for us also varies. But God's love for us is consistent and unchanging. It remains the same, both the fact that he loves us and the extent to which he loves us, because God himself remains the same. Well, implied in the statement in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us uh, from the love of God is a sense that circumstances uh, are not always good circumstances. They're not always happy circumstances. And in the midst of those difficulties, you can be tempted to question uh, whether God's love has, has waned, whether to what extent does God still love me. And we're reminded that just in a few verses before that in chapter 8, we have this specific section dealing with difficult circumstances, sufferings, where it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So even in the midst of the worst of circumstances, God's love, it remains the same even to the extent that he intervenes and he uses that to so develop our character that he might conform us more and more into the image of his son. In James chapter 1, James is writing to believers who are going through trials and who are being tempted in different ways. And as you read through chapter 1, it appears that there's some confusion and they're starting to, to ask the question whether God was, was tempting them to, to, to sin. And James starts clarifying that, that temptation arises because uh, of our own inclination of our own hearts. And that our hearts are... Uh, temptation arises because of, of what is in us. And God does not tempt anyone to sin. 
And then we come uh, down through chapter 1 into this this great uh, statement which I want to, to dwell on for a moment, where it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The giver of every good and perfect gift. Well, God's purpose was to give us birth. In other words, to so change our hearts that Jesus described that change as being born again, be born a second time. God's purpose does not change. Having started that work in us, he will continue that work and he will give us what we need to, to live for him. Well, sometimes we can be discouraged in the face of character failings when we continue to repeat some of the things that we've, we've seen before. Maybe that's impatience or abruptness with people or being anxious. Maybe it's a lack of joy. And you maybe see some of those things and you see them repeated and there's, there can be a discouragement in that. But the Lord remains the same and he is the giver of what we need. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift, everything that we need for life and godliness. God might give you, not just as it were, spiritual you know, gifts in a spiritual sense for the development um, of our character, of our godliness. But they might give you family and friends a good gift to be enjoyed but the gift that's changeable. Loved ones die. Sometimes relationships break down. Friends might disappoint. God might give us good health to be enjoyed. But our health is changeable. Some of us may have health issues that we're struggling with uh, this evening. For the rest of us, we know that our health could change um, in a moment this evening. That in the weeks ahead, you know, we could be diagnosed with um, an illness or with cancer or with something that could be life-changing. So God gives us health, but our health is changeable. God might give you a job and we are to find satisfaction in, in our work and see that as a gift from God, a good gift. But we could lose our job with all the financial consequences that flow from that. God is the giver of, good, of every good and perfect gift, but everything that we enjoy, all the good things that we have are subject to to change all things apart from one because our God is not subject to change 
and our relationship with our God is not subject to change, for he has brought us into union with himself in Christ. And that knowledge, that certainty, provides us with a stability in the midst of all of the instability of our lives. For we have the certainty of the love of God. We also have the certainty of God's promises. Well, the promises that we make, um, sometimes we don't keep. Sometimes that's because we change our minds. Sometimes that's because something uh, happens that means that we are no longer uh, able to keep that promise. But God's promises are certain. God is not taken by surprise. Things don't happen that God was not expecting. Things don't intervene which were, as it were, beyond God's control. Things which just make it too difficult for God to to be able to do the things that he promised. And sometimes we don't necessarily depend upon or rely upon God's promises or, or feel the certainty of what he has promised us. But when we think clearly, and we think through the character of God, we realize that um, these things are sure and certain for us. There's a wonderful passage in, in Joshua, Joshua 21. And the background to this is, is that all the promises that the Lord has made to, uh, to the people concerning, uh, concerning the land. And in Joshua 21, we read this. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give to their ancestors. And they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. And then we have this summary. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. I was thinking about the, you know, the song that we're singing with the kids this morning. Um, you know, and we listed some of the things that the Lord had done in the Old Testament with the different characters. And then there's this, there's this line, isn't there? It's just the same when it comes to me. The same God who fulfilled every promise in, in relation to the land is the same God who will fulfill every one of the promises he has made to you in his word. Isaiah 26, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. I mean, it's a familiar description of God, isn't it? The rock. You know, you can go up into uh, the Cairngorms and stand on, on the top of Loch Nagar or stand on top of one of the, the other mountains. And you think, you know, nothing is moving this mountain. You know, you feel the stability of that, of, of the rock on which you're standing. And so that idea of a rock is probably the best example we can find but God's immutability goes well beyond that Isaiah 54 says though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken nor my covenant of peace be removed says the Lord who has compassion on you it's the same point that we were singing in the Psalm 102 just a few moments ago an unshakable hope. Hebrews 10, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. 
What is the basis for that? Hebrews said, For he who promised is faithful. So with the certainty of God's love, we have the certainty of God's promises. And we have the certainty of God's purposes. When we look back into into the Old Testament, we see God's choice of Israel as his people. His purpose was to reveal his truth to Israel so that they would honor him and that they would be a light to the nations around him. And we come to to Malachi. And we see in Malachi this list of the way in which the Lord um, bore the people and was faithful to the people, and yet Israel was unfaithful to God. And you would think, when you read through all of the ways in which they were unfaithful, that the Lord would wipe them out, that the Lord would um, destroy them. And yet in Malachi chapter 3, we read this, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. And the passage that we read earlier, the passage in Hebrews um, chapter 6, makes the same point for, for us, that the Lord has a purpose for us also. He has made promises and our security that we will not be destroyed, but rather we enjoy and are secure in the love of God is based on the unchanging character of God. But when we think about God's, the certainty of God's love and of his promises and of his purposes, we think too that, uh, of the certainty of God's wrath against sin. Because God's holiness does not change, nor does his anger against sin. God is still the same God that we, um, that we read about with the children this morning. The same God who brought the flood in the time of Noah. You think to the, the wording of, of Genesis chapter, chapter 6, where the Lord, in response to the great wickedness of the people, said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, saving only Noah and his family, because Noah was found righteous in God's sight. God is still the same God who warned us about hell. And so if you're not a Christian, maybe you've come to to church uh, for some time, um, but you would not call yourself a Christian, then this is God's offer to you. If you confess Christ as your Lord, you will not bear the wrath, God's wrath against your sin. Because on the cross, Christ took the place of every Christian. Christ took on himself God's wrath against their sin. And the certainty, of God, the certainty is this, that God's wrath against your sin will be borne either by you or by Christ. And our good news, the gospel, is that Christ has made this offer to bear God's wrath against your sin, to take your place, not on the basis that your life has reached a certain standard that is acceptable to him, for that would not be good news, but on the basis that you confess him as your Lord, for it's by faith that we are saved. 
It's by faith that Christ has taken upon himself that punishment. But for the Christian, for the Christian who may be troubled by the thought of God's anger against their sin, even though they know Christ has borne the punishment for that sin, I think it's often to to help think about the analogy of, of the best of parents. The best of parents and the love they have for their young child. And when that child does wrong, the child doesn't cease to be the child, their child, nor does he cease to be loved deeply by them. But rather, a good parent doesn't stand by and allow their child to continue to do wrong, but out of love they correct the child. How much more so does our Heavenly Father, even in the midst of our sin and our failings, not continue to love us and out of that love intervene in our lives. The certainty of God's love, God's promises, God's truth, God's holiness. And as we think about all of those things and we think about the example of that consistency. I'm drawn to a wonderful statement in in Hebrews chapter 13 about our great example because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That can't be said of us, can it? It can't be said of you and me. But it can be said of Christ because he is God uh, we're going to be studying Hebrews in, in house groups, as, uh, as Alex was saying. Can I encourage you to, to take part in that? When I uh, first uh, went through the book of Hebrews, we were doing a, a, um, a study through it, chapter by, by chapter. It just completely transformed my understanding of the way in which uh, the Old Testament was fulfilled in the New and opened up for me uh, the work of Christ um, and uh, the meaning of many of the things that we read, that we read in the New Testament. So I'd really encourage you to, to participate in that study. Hebrews, in its context, is, is written to uh, Jewish Christians to encourage them to persevere uh, in the faith, and they were um, you know, tempted to go back to, to Judaism, to, uh, to, to walk away from the Messiah. And right at the very end of Hebrews 13, there's this call for for consistency, uh, just in the practical ways in which they they live their lives, to keep on loving one another, not to forget to show hospitality to each other, to keep doing that, to continue to remember those in prison because they they would have been in prison because of their, uh, their faith, to keep their lives free from the love of money and to be content with what they have. In the context, a call for consistency. And Christ stands as our example, as the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray together. Father, even as we uh, consider our own inconsistency, our own failings, the way in which our love can grow uh, cold. We come and we bring our worship to you as the God who remains the same from everlasting to everlasting.
And we pray, Lord, that you would so enlarge and increase our consciousness of your greatness. Not just that we would know it in our heads, but that we would be, it would be uppermost in our thoughts. So that the moment when we are tempted to sin, Lord, that when we're attracted to it, our desire to honor you would be the strongest desire of our hearts and that you would expel all desires for lesser things, that you would hold us fast and help us to honor you as we should. In Jesus' name, amen.